0: Hey, how are you doing? My name's Simon. I'm one of the pastors here at Arlington Countryside Church. And here at ACC, we believe that no matter where you, no matter where you are at, you can experience new life in Jesus Christ today. We're going to do that through singing songs of worship, through hearing a message, and it's going to be awesome. I hope you experience that. Uh, before we get to all that fun stuff, uh, there's a communication card for you somewhere on the screen. And on the communication cards, it's a way for us to connect uh, with you. And you can put prayer requests on there, whether uh, for our entire congregation or uh, confidential for our staff and elders. We would love to pray with you. Uh, and on that communication card, there's something that I'm sure you're about to be pumped about. Trivia night. Yes, trivia night is coming up on January 16th. It's going to be awesome. What we do is we get in a Zoom call and you get to go in your breakout rooms and play trivia with your friends and family. Uh, sign up as an individual or as a team, whatever you want. It's going to be such a good time. See you then.
1: When all I see is a battle, you see my victory. When all I see is a mountain, you see a mountain move. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you and every fear I lay. be against me For Jesus is nothing impossible for you When all I see are the ashes You see them beautiful. is the cross, God, you see me. shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing Now, join me in reciting the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven Search
2: the world, it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise, treasures of faith, never enough. Then you came along and pulled me back together every desire now satisfied hearing your love oh there's nothing A better than you lord there's nothing a better than you lord there's nothing and nothing, nothing is better than you not Afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all. You still call me friend, cause the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. There's not a place Your mercy and grace I won't find me again. No, oh, there's nothing better than You, Lord. Oh, there's nothing better than You, Lord. Oh, there's nothing. You get beauty for ashes, you turn shame into glory, you're the only the highways, you're the only one who can, you're the only one who can, oh there's nothing better than you Lord, there's nothing, better than you Lord, there's nothing. is come on yes you, do. you turn bones into army you turn seas into highways you're the only
3: Many of you are aware that something I've been doing for a number of years now is uh, making my way along backpacking on the Appalachian Trail. Uh, It's a uh, 2,100-mile footpath that begins in Georgia and ends in Maine, and I've done about Oh, I'd say about 600 miles of it so far. And what I do is I just pick up where I leave off each summer. Now, I haven't made the last couple of summers. I'm hoping to get there this coming summer, but you know, I'll go out for a week and just get as far as I can uh, go in a week. And then next summer I pick up where I leave off. Anyway, I've been doing that. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy nature, the outdoors. I enjoy the exercise. It's a great thing. The Appalachian Trail is beautiful, but I remember the first uh, time I ever went a number of years ago, my, my first time ever backpacking and I began, uh, on the trail after the first two days and I was hiking by myself. After the first two days, I was absolutely tore up. Uh, I was tore up, uh, my shoulders felt like they were getting ripped off by my backpack. They, it wasn't fitting right at all. And the back of my backpack was gouging into my lower back and was just rubbing it raw. And so I was in a lot of pain. I was miserable and I thought, okay, I bought the wrong backpack. Something's deficient with this backpack. You know, I should have bought more padding for the straps or, you know, I didn't have what I needed and I was frustrated and, and very, very uncomfortable. Well, at the end of my second day, I got to the shelter and there was a guy there, this old dude. Um, uh, a backpacker and his name was Echo. Now that wasn't his real name, that wasn't the name his mama gave him, that was his trail name. A lot of, of veteran hikers on the trail go by what they call a trail name, a nickname, and his trail name was Echo. Now I didn't realize it at the time, But Echo is a legend. You can look him up online. There's articles about him. There's stories about him. He's a a veteran backpacker who's hiked the entire Appalachian Trail like four or five different times. Dude was like famous in Appalachian Trail world. Like I said, I didn't know this at the time. But anyway, I met him. Um, He was staying in the same shelter after my second full day of hiking. And, uh, In the course of our conversation, I expressed to him, man, my backpack's just tearing me up. You know, my shoulders hurt, my back hurts, uh, something's wrong. I don't have what I need. And he said to me, well, put on your, put on your pack. Let me, let me see. And so I picked it up and put it on and he said, you're doing it wrong. He's like, you're not using it right. And he went on to show me things I had no idea about. Now, if you're not familiar with the backpack, backpacks have numerous different straps and all the straps have a different function. But you can loosen or tighten the straps um, and strategically play with them and understand what they're for to give yourself a better fit and a more comfortable fit as you're hiking. Well, I had no idea. I'd, I'd never worn a backpack before this time and no one had shown me anything. And so Echo showed me how to put it on. And it made all the difference in the world once I knew what I was doing. And I had that little bit of knowledge. It helped tremendously. And the truth was, there was nothing wrong with my backpack. I had everything I needed. I didn't need any additional equipment, any additional padding. I had everything I needed. I just needed to learn how to use it. Okay. Now, in the start of this new year, and we're just a couple of days into the new year now, what if I told you, you have virtually everything you need to live for God? That you don't need anything else. Everything you need to live for God, you already possess. And what I mean by live for God is, let, let, me, let me expand that a little bit, okay? What I mean is, Consistent victory over temptation. A supernatural ability to love and forgive others. A generosity that would surprise even yourself. Uh, Peace and joy in the midst of adversity and chaos. Uh, The ability to discern truth and error and on and on and on, the ability to successfully live for God. Wouldn't that be an incredible 2021? If in this year, you could live a godly life, live a successful life for God. Today, we're going to get into that. And today we kick off a new teaching series in the book of Second Peter. The series is called Vigilant. Now, Vigilant carries the idea of um, being watchful or being ready. Uh, It's the picture of a sentry at her post. It's the picture of a, a person on guard, standing watch, wide awake, alert, Ready. That's the idea, vigilant, and that's the theme of the book of 2 Peter. Now, the challenge of 2 Peter and being vigilant um, involves primarily two things, okay? The first is that we are challenged in this book to be vigilant against false teaching and against false teachers. Um, Already, even though the church was still in its infancy, False teachers had been infiltrating the body of Christ and have been teaching things that the Bible didn't teach, that Jesus never taught, that the apostles never taught. And so they needed to learn discernment. They needed to understand you can't believe everything you hear, just like we can't believe everything posted online, right? Hey, if it's on Facebook, it must be true, right? No, you got to be vigilant. You got to be able to discern truth from error, and you got to be vigilant against false teaching. Second Peter addresses a lot of that in this book. And the other thing is we've got to be vigilant for the glorious return of Christ. And that's an emphasis in this book, that just as Jesus came once in Bethlehem, we just celebrated that at Christmas time. That was his first advent. So there will be a second advent, a second coming, And then he will come in full glory and power. And we need to live our lives always ready, understanding that the return of Christ is imminent. It could happen at any time. And we need to live our lives in light of the fact that one day he will return. We need to be vigilant. And so let's jump in. Okay, let's pray. And then we'll dig into the first chapter of Second Peter. Father God, I thank you for your love for us, and I thank you, Father, for the difference you can make in our lives. And Lord, what an opportunity you've given us this new year where we have life, and God, we, we uh, walk within your blessings and within your presence. And so, Father, as we start this year studying the book of Second Peter, I pray, Father, you'd give us hearts that are open and teachable that you would illuminate the scriptures to us through your Holy Spirit, and that you would allow us, Father, to make this a year where we really live for you, that, God, we take our spiritual lives to the next level. And, uh, Lord, um, obviously not something we can do on our own strength. Or by our own grit and determination, it, it needs to be of you. And so, Lord, we look to you to teach us these things and to help us with these things. Be with us now, Father, as we open your word. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Well, let's start with our study in Second Peter, and we begin with chapter one, verse one. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. Those are the introductory words. And two quick observations I want to make. The first is this, that being humble and being a leader are not mutually exclusive things. Sometimes we think, oh, if a person has authority, if a person is in the spotlight, you know, you can't be humble, that a humble person never takes the spotlight, that a humble person is never the person in charge. Well, that's not true at all. And in fact, in Christianity and regarding Christian leadership, those should always go hand in hand, that anyone who has positions of responsibility or authority, anybody who's in the spotlight, should be particularly humble. And just because you are in the spotlight, it doesn't mean you lack humility. And so it's so interesting that Simon Peter identifies himself as a slave. It's the idea of humility, of living a life of service to others, but it's combined with being an apostle. An apostle was one of the big wigs, right? One of the pillars of the church, one of God's primary spokesmen. And so he recognized the position God had given him as an apostle, but yet he said, I am, am your servant and I am a servant of Christ. Now, the second observation I want to make is this, that the life you and I really want is all All about experiencing the grace and peace of God. Grace means God's blessings. And peace is the idea of shalom, of wholeness, of fulfillment, of contentment. And he says, I want you to experience in abundance God's peace. And God's grace. And that happens as you grow in your knowledge of God and in your knowledge of Christ. So you see, a real key to you and I experiencing the lives that we all have always wanted to experience is we need to grow in our knowledge of God and in our knowledge of Christ. When you come to know Christ better and all that he has done for you, it it enriches your life and takes you to this next level where you experience his grace and his peace. Now, it says to grow in the knowledge of Christ. Well, you see, that indicates that growth, this developing, this grace and peace that we want in our lives, this knowledge of Christ that we want in our lives, that it's a process. Growth is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And often this growth, this progress is incremental. And we all experience, and you're going to see it yourself, that we have seasons in our lives where our spiritual growth is very rapid. And then other times where our spiritual growth is is so incremental, we can't even really notice it. That's the way it is. Sometimes we grow like a weed. Sometimes we don't. Uh, but, but the growth continues on and on. And it's the life that God wants us to have. And so understand this, that, that we need to grow in our knowledge of Christ, who he is, and what he has done for us. And when we do, we'll experience more and more of God's grace and peace in our lives. And so now I want to break down what we're looking at here in the first chapter. And I want you to see in verse 3 and 4, Peter assures us that we already have everything we need, starting at verse 3. We already have everything we need. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. And so this is the wonderful news. My friends, this is the best news you're going to hear all day, probably all week, maybe even this entire year, that you've been given everything you need to live a godly life. Now, this is Peter talking, right? And if you're familiar with Peter in the Gospels, you know Peter was a guy who sometimes would say things without thinking. And sometimes he would put his mouth in gear before he engaged his brain, right? So is this one of those times where Peter is writing this, but he really hasn't thought it through? He's just kind of overly enthusiastic. He's kind of just exaggerating a bit. No, it's not. Okay, understand this. This is not the Peter that you're familiar with in the Gospels. This is not the Peter of the Gospels writing here. This is a seasoned Simon Peter. This is a Peter who's 30 years removed from what we know about him in the Gospels. And in the 30 years that have passed, Peter has been restored from denying Christ. He's received the gift of the Holy Spirit he has watched the church explode and the gospel spread like wildfire throughout the entire Roman Empire. He, this is a guy who's experienced God grow him and use him in incredible ways. And so in a sense, Peter is like giving his testimony here. And he's saying, he's not overstating anything. He's saying, hey, I have everything I need to live a godly life and you do as well. It's very similar to like me getting schooled by Echo, right? Where Echo said, Dave, there's nothing wrong with your backpack. You have everything you need. You just need to learn how to utilize it. And so that's true for you in your spiritual life, that you don't need to keep searching for something more in order to be successful spiritually. You don't need to be haunted by that nagging feeling that you are somehow fundamentally flawed and an inferior Christian. It's it's not the case. It doesn't have to be that way. You have everything you need to live for him. But I want you to notice in verse three that it specifically says that God has given us everything we need, that it's not something you and I have developed on our own or that we've earned or achieved, that it's by God's grace. It's by his generosity. He has given us as a gift everything we need to live for him. Now, it says that we've received all this, first of all, by coming to know him. And you see, that's the starting point for a life of faith. The starting point is you need to come to the point where you come to know Christ. We're not born naturally knowing Christ. Now, we have a basic sense that God exists, and we have this basic inclination, natural inclination to worship something greater than ourselves, but we don't naturally know Christ, right? That that's something we need to come to know and we need to place our faith in him. Now, there's different terms that are used for coming to faith in Christ. Uh, it, it, phrases um, like uh, receiving Christ or becoming born again or placing your trust in Christ. We often use the phrase around here at ACC, we often use the phrase crossing the line of faith. But we all need that point where we came to know Christ. And you see, that's where it begins, is coming to know Christ. And the moment we do, the moment we place our trust in Christ, we as a gift are given everything we need to live for him. In other words, we come to faith and then God gives us everything we need to develop our faith successfully. God initiates this. Now, it says here that we've been equipped with great and precious promises. You see, what promises? Because it says we have all the promises we need to live for him. Well, what promises is Peter talking about? I want to suggest to you what he's talking about is virtually everything. All the promises we've been given. Uh, uh, Forgiveness, eternal life, meaning, purpose, joy, peace, uh, wholeness, God's generous provision. All the promises of Scripture have been given to us. And when God promises something, you can count on it. And he's saying, we've been given all these promises that God is going to guide us and God is going to provide for us. And it says, in light of this, we share the divine nature. And so when it speaks of us sharing the divine nature, um, this is likely uh, primarily speaking about the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And when it speaks of the divine nature, it's not talking about you and I becoming a God, but it's behaving like God, having a character similar to God's. Look what Jesus said in John 14, verse 17. He said, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you and later will be in you. There's some tremendous some tremendous foreshadowing here of what was going to happen. What Jesus said was, right now to his disciples, he said, the Holy Spirit is with you. And you see, in the Old Testament, in the times of Jesus and prior, the Holy Spirit would come upon people momentarily like in moments of need, or in moments of crisis, or in moments when they need a tremendous inspiration. And so the Holy Spirit would come, and then he would go. He would be given, and then he would be withdrawn. That's the way the relationship of the Holy Spirit with people was up until the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And see, Jesus is foreshadowing this, is giving us a preview of this, and he says, okay, he lives now with you, but later— will be in you. And so Jesus actually said in the Gospels, it's better for you that I go away because when I leave, I'll send the Holy Spirit to take my place. And the difference was the Holy Spirit is going to indwell God's people, that the temple of God would no longer be a building, but would be bodies. It would be each individual who is a follower of God. And so you see the indwelling Holy Spirit makes all the difference. That's the primary precious promise, that because the Holy Spirit lives within us and he takes residence within us, the moment we become a Christian, the moment we cross the line of faith, we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit, he takes up residence within us, we become a partaker of the divine nature as a result, and that makes all the difference for us. Now, It helps us to be like him, a person who has a laser focus on loving God and loving others. And so it makes sense what Paul wrote in Romans 8, verse 9. As a result of this indwelling Holy Spirit, he says, But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And so you see, the difference who has the Spirit, who doesn't have the Spirit, it comes down to who has Christ, who doesn't have Christ. If you've trusted in Christ, you've been given the Holy Spirit. That's true even if you didn't know that up until now. You don't need to be consciously aware of the fact for it to be true. And the truth is, if you've trusted in Christ, the Holy Spirit's within you, and that means you have virtually everything you need to live for him. So now we go on to verses 5 through 7, and what we see is in light of these precious promises, and most specifically, the gift of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, now we must live responsibly to his promises. Now, see, you can know about these promises, and they really don't make much of a difference. You've got to know about these promises. You've got to understand the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but now you've got to live responsibly as a result. And so check it out, verses five through seven. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. This is answering the so what of verses three through five, all right? This is the what now of verses three through five. In view of what you just read in verses three and four, make every effort, apply yourself, be determined Try hard, make every effort to respond to God's promises. And so here's what we need to do. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Now when it says supplement your faith, that's an interesting word. In the original Greek language, that word supplement is derived from the word choirmaster. And in the ancient world, in ancient choral groups, the choir master was like the patron. The choir master was in charge. The choir master was responsible for providing Everything needed to put on a good show. And so the choir master to put on a good show would invest heavily and provide everything the choir needed for their production. And so that word developed and then ended up coming to mean um equipping or supplying, providing, and doing so generously. And so we're called upon to provide generously for our faith, to apply ourselves, to invest in our spiritual lives, because the payoff will be there. And we're to supply our faith with, and then be intentional about developing eight virtues. Be intentional. Now, these aren't all-inclusive. This isn't comprehensive or exhaustive. These are examples, but but I I think... They give us good tracks to run on for things that we should be desiring, things we should be praying about, seeking to develop in our lives. And these are the eight indispensable virtues. First of all, faith. I think it's the idea of coming to trust in God and then trusting in God on a daily basis as well. From there, moral excellence. It's the idea of not moral mediocrity or being average, just like everybody else, but that as believers, we should be people of extreme integrity and honesty and kindness, that our morality should be excellent, okay? Then, on top of our moral excellence, knowledge. This knowledge refers to being aware of divine truth. And uh, as a result, that divine truth gives us moral discernment. And so we should be people of the word. We should be people who are knowledgeable about the Bible because it gives us the moral discernment we need. And then on top of our knowledge, self-control the idea of being in control of yourself, right? And then on top of that, patient endurance. It's the idea of not folding like a cheap lawn chair when things get hard or when temptations come our way, but we can patiently endure. And then on top of that, godliness. Godliness is the idea of having a reverence, an authentic reverence for God. Then on top of that, brotherly affection. Now, I think brotherly affection is the companion virtue to godliness, because godliness is a love for God, a reverence for God. And so this is a love for others, brotherly affection. And then finally, the chief and ultimate goal is love, love for everyone. And I think the distinction being made between brotherly affection here and love is that Brotherly affection is primarily for other believers. It's the love we share within our church and among those who know Christ. And that's important. But this love goes beyond merely brotherly affection to loving the entire world, loving everybody. And so it's the idea of not simply loving those who agree with you or simply loving those who are like you, but loving virtually everyone. And these are the virtues we are to be developing, and living successfully for God. And then lastly, I want you to see in verses 8 through 11, we will then, once these things begin to happen in our lives, we will then experience three specific things are mentioned. We will experience productivity, stability, and celebration. Look for it as we read. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you see, first of all, that as we grow this way, we become more productive and useful for God in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in in our workplaces, in our homes, we will become more productive and useful in blessing others, in bringing the good news of Christ, in being God's hands and feet in the world in which we live. Have you ever experienced God using you? Have you ever had a moment in your life where you really sensed God used you, God used you to bless someone else, to encourage someone else, to provide for someone else? didn't that feel good? There's nothing wrong with that feeling. That's not pride. That's that's just a sense of fulfillment that you're living the life God wants you to live. That's a wonderful feeling to be useful for God, to be effective in God's kingdom. And when we begin growing spiritually, we'll feel that feeling and experience that more and more often because we're promised we'll become more and more useful and effective in his kingdom. And I think that's something we would all want. But it goes on to say, not only will we become more useful and effective and productive, but we will also become more stable. We will never fall away. When you are actively growing and serving, you're not going to fall away you're not gonna uh, abandon your faith. And so he challenges us to work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Now you see, it doesn't say work hard to earn your salvation. It doesn't say work hard so that you can be called and chosen, you are already called and chosen. You are already God's child by grace. What Peter is saying now, be serious, work hard to prove to everybody around you that it's true, that you really are, okay? This is the way I would communicate it, okay? It's this idea. A dog is not a dog because it barks. It barks because it is a dog. Does that make sense? Let me say it again. Look at it there on the screen. A dog is not a dog because it barks. It barks because it is a dog. It is in its nature to bark, okay? So here's how it applies, the teaching here. You are not a Christian because you possess certain virtues. You possess certain virtues because you are a Christian. Do you understand that? That's really an important distinction to make. We don't seek to be moral people so that God will like us. We don't seek to be moral, virtuous people so that we can climb a stairway to heaven and eventually earn our way there. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. Our salvation, our eternal life, our forgiveness, our our, our, our position as children of God, that's signed, sealed, and delivered. That's done, right? So you and I don't seek to apply these things to our lives so that we can get there, we're already there. It's to prove to others what God has done in our life, to live out our faith in a tangible, expressive way. That's what it's all about. And then lastly, I want you to see that the promise here is that once we begin growing in this way, God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom. You know what I think that's talking about? I think it's talking about the fact that the day will come where we will leave this earth, where we will die, and we will stand before God. And you know what? We all get to heaven the same way. It's through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our placing our faith in him. We all get to heaven the same way. But what I think the New Testament teaches is that there's a difference in how each of us will be welcomed, how each of us will be rewarded in heaven. Now, it's kind of a weird thought, but the New Testament teaches that. And I think Peter specifically says here that when you do these things, you will receive a grand entrance, not just an entrance into the kingdom, but a grand entrance, that you will be specifically celebrated for the life of devotion you've lived for God. I think we all want to hear, when we get to heaven, we want to hear Christ say, Well done, good and faithful service. And I think that's what Peter had in mind here, that when you stand before God for the first time, he's going to give you a grand welcoming. You're going to enter in a grand way, and he's going to be able to place his hands upon you, look you in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful service. And when we serve it, and when we apply these things to our lives that we've read here, that's the type of life and that's our ultimate destiny once we reach heaven. So as we head into 2021, and what I pray will be a great year, let us reorient our lives to live for Jesus. I want you to be optimistic. I want you to be encouraged. And the reason is because you have everything you need to live for God. So be vigilant.
1: Father, you worked your will. I had no righteousness of my own. I had no right to draw near your throne. Father, you love me still. And in love before you laid the world's foundation. 強 想- my sleeping spirit was awakened. On my darkened heart the light of Christ has shone. Called into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Heaven's citizen by grace and grace alone. So I'll stand
0: And And now we're going to continue our worship uh, through the giving of our offering. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for all you've blessed us with. uh, And I pray that right now as we uh, give back to you, we give back to your church uh, for the work of your good news. I pray that uh, we give generously, and, and I pray that we, uh, as, as a staff and leadership team, that we steward it well, we use it wisely, um, and we can use it to uh, reach our coworkers, our friends, and our neighbors with the good news of your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. And now receive the benediction. May the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Serve him.